All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. And today is a mailbag episode where I'll be answering some listener questions, but also getting into the topic by revisiting whether or not Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback, is going to go top three in this draft. And what does that mean for the quarterback conversation surrounding the Atlanta Falcons? So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter at falcfans, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about whether or not the Falcons are going to take a quarterback, and we'll do that by revisiting the conversation around whether or not there's smoke to the fire or whatever fire to the smoke that the 49ers are trading up in this draft specifically for Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones and why I'm not necessarily sold on the idea of that. And that will get us into that conversation with surrounding the Falcons and whether quarterback is in the mix for them at pick four. And then we'll get into some listener questions. We'll talk about Caleb McGarry's ability to slide inside. If the Falcons should draft Penny Sewell in the first round, we'll talk about whether the Falcons interest in quarterbacks is purely a smokescreen. We'll talk about if the Falcons trade back, whether they'll actually be able to afford, uh, I'm sorry, afford their draft class. And then we'll talk a little bit about Stanford quarterback Davis Mills potentially being the guy that the Falcons dub as the heir apparent to Matt Ryan should they pass on a quarterback in round one. But without further ado, let's talk about Mac Jones and the smoke to the fire that, you know, Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback, is the object of the 49ers affection at that number three overall selection that they now hold after this past weekend's trade up. And while I tend to still be somewhat skeptical, I am much less skeptical today than I was 48 hours ago when I initially talked about this on Monday's episode of the podcast and didn't really buy into that notion. But you've just seen too many people. I've heard too many people over. Over that 48 hours with connections to actual NFL teams, people like Darren Neal, Jeremiah, people like Dane Brugler, et cetera, talking about how most people around the league think this is going to happen and simply don't dismiss it. And, you know, I can't necessarily dismiss it either. And so the reason why I was initially dismissive of it was not because I dislike Jones as a quarterback. I just, you know, I think when the best case for, Mac Jones, when you watch him, is you see a lot of overlap sometimes when I've watched him and a lot of overlap between him and, say, Joel Burrow from last year. And Joe Burrow was good enough that no one questioned whether he was deserving of being the number one pick last year, or at least very few people did. And now if Joe Burrow was worth a number one pick last year and Mac Jones is similar, why then would Mac Jones be worth a top three pick, let alone a top 15 selection this year in a lot of people's eyes because a lot of people don't have him ranked that highly. And I also think you can make the argument that no matter what you think of Mac Jones, you know, the 49ers are arguably one of the better places for him to land. So, you know, it's not to sit here and say my questions around Mac Jones is not because I don't think he can be a successful quarterback in the NFL, um, because I do tend to agree that San Francisco is one of the better spots for him to go, given that they have a balanced rushing attack. They have a good defense that can keep the scoreboard manageable. And so, you know, that will allow them to be able to lean on their running game in the second half of the games and not force Mac Jones to have to play from behind, behind a 
currently questionable offensive line. Although, you know, we'll see what Alex Mack and, and Trent Williams can do uh, to stabilize that unit. Uh, but in, in Mike McGlinchey, but we'll see. But, you know, to be clear, I, I don't think my personal opinions, I don't think Jones is as good as Burrow, despite, you know, some snaps, some reps looking very similar. And I think unless the 49ers are going to be a perennial playoff team, you know, for the bulk of Mac Jones's rookie contract and the Super Bowl contender over the life of that, you know, I think it's going to be hard for him to to stick long term. And and the reason why is we haven't seen pocket quarterbacks. This gets to the conversation of mobility and the, the, the conversation around this is we haven't seen pocket quarterbacks really have a lot of success developing to the highest levels of the NFL at the quarterback position for many, many years. And you have to go back to the era of Alex Smith and Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco, you know, when those guys came out 13 to 16 years ago before you really found success there. And the reason for that is I think Quincy Avery said this pretty, you know, explained it pretty well on the podcast to pro prospects to pros podcast with Dane Brugler uh, a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, the quarterbacks that win with their brains, these sort of pocket quarterbacks um, that we're talking about that are, you know, neck up guys and not neck down guys in terms of their athleticism and the arm strength and the, and the physical ability. You know, those guys typically aren't going to get enough reps early on in their careers to be able to take advantage of their brains when they reach their primes five to seven years down the road. Those guys are much rarer in recent years. You know, and you have to basically come in and be like Ryan and like what Flacco were and find immediate success early in the league. And if you're not going to find that success outright, you know, those teams are going to wind up moving on from you. And you can just ask Josh Rosen. You can ask Sam Darnold, that, you know, and they, they epitomize that. Although, you know, I don't think it's necessarily fair to call Sam Darnold a pocket quarterback. But, like, you look at some of the more recent successes in that arena. You look at Kirk Cousins. You look at a Jared Goff. And, you know, obviously Jared Goff, found that success early in LA, but whether we're talking about Kirk Cousins, whether we're talking about Jared Goff, you know, you're talking about both of those guys being drafted by teams. And then those teams being very unwilling to commit financially to them for more than five or six years. You know, you have Derek Carr in Las Vegas, who's now entering year eight with the Raiders, which, you know, relatively speaking, it makes him the exception to the rule that these guys, these quote unquote pocket quarterbacks don't last more than, you know, a half decade in the league. And, and just think about it this way. Here, here's another way of, of, of coming at it. You know, when this year's crop of quarterbacks, when the Mac Joneses, the Trevor Lawrence's, et cetera, the Justin Fields's, all are up for their second contracts, all the quarterbacks, or at least the successful ones from the 2018, 2019, and 2020 quarterback classes will at least by that time likely be paid. So that includes Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, et cetera, right? If any of those guys wind up winning a Super Bowl in the next year or so, they probably could go to the table and negotiate a contract that actually pays them more than what Patrick Mahomes is making currently, uh, which is, you know, $45 million a year. So, you know, four or five years down the road, we could definitely be living in a world where the top of the quarterback market pays a guy $50 million a year. And whether someone has just recently reset the market to $50 million or is about to reset the market to $50 million, we're likely living in the world where top end quarterbacks are going to be making at least 40, if not $50 million a year. And do you really want to be in a situation four or five years from now where you have to make Mac Jones a $50 million a year quarterback? Are you going to really be paying a quarterback like him who is widely considered to be a very good game manager, that amount of money. 
And the answer is probably not. And I think that's really where the conversation comes. Like if you're going to pay a quarterback that amount of money, you want him to do some extra stuff, right? You want him to, you know, not just be a really smart, really accurate pocket quarterback, right? You want him to be able to bring something extra to the table that elevates the rest of your roster, elevates the rest of your offense, rather than just simply being the guy that's out there distributing the ball, right? So that's my thoughts on, on the whole Mac Jones situation. We'll, we'll see, you know, obviously we're going to talk a lot more about this draft class um, and the quarterbacks in the coming weeks. We, we're definitely going to be starting our strong pivot towards the draft next week on Lockdown Falcons. Um, and, you know, this is kind of our last couple of episodes focusing primarily on the offseason, but we'll, we'll, we'll certainly take a deeper look at Mac Jones in the coming weeks, uh, with some guests, uh, to come on and share their thoughts on it. But, um, you know, in addition to people around the NFL talking about the 49ers going for Mac Jones at that number three spot, you hear a lot of these same people say that the Falcons, that these NFL people think that the Falcons will take a quarterback at that number four spot. And we'll get deeper into that conversation coming up on today's episode. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the MLB side of the lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite major league baseball team, including the Atlanta Braves. Check out the lockdown Braves podcast hosted by Dylan short on whatever podcast platform you prefer. So we're at the very end of March. And that means March madness is, pretty much over and we are right on the verge of finding out which built bar flavor is the best all month long built bar has unveiled their bracket for the best flavor with daily matchups between top flavors. And you can pick yours at builtbar.com. If you don't know built bars are the best tasting protein bar in the market. They taste just like a candy bar, but they're not just tasty. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber, build your own bracket or vote for your favorites by heading over to builtbar.com. Make sure you use the promo code locked 15 when you get there. So you can get 15% off your next order. Today's matchup features are Last flavorful four matchup between mint brownie and coconut brownie chunk. The two brownie going on to the championship later this week to find out which built bar flavor is the best. So pick your favorites today at builtbar.com. And when you do make sure you use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. So you guys know, I got you covered on everything you need to know about the Falcons, but who's got you covered for all the rest of sports? Well, Peter Bukowski, the host of the locked on today podcast has you there. He gives you all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the locked on today podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So guys, um, we talked about all the people saying that the 49ers want Mac Jones and What's interesting that some of the other tidbits that came out of that is Daniel Jeremiah, who's the number one draft guy for the NFL network mentioned last that he talked to two NFL GMs and they think that the Falcons are going towards the quarterback. And when you talk about the ramifications for this 49ers trade, you know, they often mention the possibility, if not the probability that quarterbacks go one, two, three and four in this draft And, you know, that fourth quarterback either is getting selected by the Falcons or by another team trading up with the Falcons. So obviously this is going to be a big topic of conversation as we, uh, you know, slowly get through these last four weeks towards the NFL draft. But, you know, a lot of people seem to think that the Falcons shouldn't pass on this golden opportunity to secure their future at the quarterback position which is basically the same argument, you know, I used in the, in the past months when suggesting why I thought 
it made sense for the Falcons to take a quarterback at four and why I thought it was the likely outcome. Now, you know, I know we find ourselves in a day and age where everybody needs to have a bold take and it's shocking in this day and age where I don't necessarily have a horse in the race, right? Where I don't really care if the Falcons take a quarterback or a non-quarterback at four. It doesn't really bother me one way or the other. If you ask me, if you, you know, if you were to force me to, to choose one, you know, I could choose one, but it's not like I have a strong, you know, perspective on it because I, I, I believe that both paths can lead to success. Now we can certainly have a debate in a lively debate about which path is more likely to have success and say like, Oh, if we went down this path, we'd have a 55% chance of success. Or if we went down the other path, we'd only have a 45% chance of success. And, you know, depending on what data, what evidence you're looking at would determine where you fall, which path, you know, belongs to which, whichever uh, chances of success I just outlined. But for me, you know, it's simple as like, look, five years from now, we're going to know the answer to this question. Either the Falcons will be successful with the path that they choose or they will fail. And we'll look back at the other path and say, well, of course, via the power of hindsight, of course, they should have t- went down the other path, you know, and everybody will say absolutely yes, particularly if they fail. And we'll look back at, you know, whoever we stigmatize as the architect for that failed path, whether that's a Terry Fontenot, whether that's an Arthur Smith, whether that's the quarterback, whether whoever that wind up being will blame that person and everybody will be like, yeah, that, that person's trash. And that, that person will always live down, um, you know, in Falcons history as like the worst human being to ever walk the face of the earth because he ruined five years of, of Falcons history or something like that. But you know how people tend to be very dramatic about it and act like, you know, this decision will decide the fate of the universe. And I always say, just, you know, relax, but all that to say, I, I do think quarterback is certainly still on the table based off what you hear and, you know, despite the Matt Ryan restructure, which I won't necessarily get into today, I still have thoughts on it, but we won't get into it today. Um, you know, and so whether you're listening to people like Daniel Jeremiah or Jeff Schultz or Tory McElhaney or Dane Brugler or whoever else, the half dozen other people saying that quarterback is definitely on the table for the Falcons at four, you know, you got to take that at face value for the same reasons that you got to take it at face value that everybody seems to think uh, Mac Jones is going to be the pick, you know, at least, at least once you leave Twitter, right? So if we do have a situation where Lawrence and Wilson and Jones go one, two, and three in this draft, you know, which seems to be the prevailing consensus as of today, then the Falcons should have their choice of either Justin Fields or Trey Lance at number four. Now in the past, I've said that, you know, given their choice, I think they would choose Fields over Lance because I think Fields, you know, has that local connection, which, you know, certainly the money people, the Arthur Blanks, the Steve Cannons of the world, I think certainly will value And I also think the fact that, you know, Justin Fields went to Ohio State um, based off of the powers that be in the Falcons run office, whether we're talking about Terry Fontenot with the Saints, Kyle Smith with Washington and Dwayne Jones with Baltimore, the three top personnel people in our front office now come from organizations that, at least as far as the draft goes, tended to draft power five schools even more so than what the Falcons have done in the past. And, And Thomas Dimitrov was quick to always say he believes in, you know, power five guys and he didn't believe in power five guys, at least over the last five years, as much as these other guys did. So, you know, when it comes to that sort of stuff, that's the sort of circumstantial evidence. Again, I don't have any deep insight into this, but you know, that's the sort of circumstantial evidence that makes it seem like if it came down to those two guys, I think they would go fields, but I don't know. 
You know, you, you constantly hear these things through the grapevine that the NFL collectively is not as in love with Justin Fields as at least the vast majority of draft Twitter is where he's clearly the consensus second or third best guy uh, in this quarterback class. When you look at most people's rankings um, and if a significant portion of NFL teams say have Justin Fields as QB five, um, you know, do the Falcons are the Falcons part of that portion of the league that looks at him in that way. And obviously we'll just have to wait and see and find out. So that's going to also be a topic of, frequent discussion on this podcast over the next couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll try to dig down in that. And hopefully by the time we get to draft day, we'll, we'll have some better answers, but knowing this regime, at least based off of how they've started, I don't think we'll, we'll know, you know, I think there'll be some guesses based off of, you know, maybe slightly less circumstantial evidence that I'm currently uh, putting out there in terms of why they prefer fields over, you know, we might have a couple of, you know, insiders saying like, I got, I get the feeling that they're going this way, but who knows at this point in time, like, you know, I'm not even trying to guess who the Falcons are going to pick at this year. I'll tell you that much, you know, that AJ Terrell streak is, is about to get snapped. I, I can pretty much guarantee you that. Although technically I guess I got a 25% chance of getting it right since they're picking so high, but we'll see. Um, but we will get into the listener answering question portion of today's episode. And we'll sort of come out of the break talking about uh, whether or not Kayla McGarry would be a better fit playing inside. And, and what's the case for the Falcons drafting Penny Sewell? But before we get there, guys, I do want to let you guys know about bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet for all your sports action. The NFL might be over the NBA, NHL, NASCAR and FCF college football are all in full swing. And the MLB is right around the corner. And as we wrap up March Madness, you know, Bet online is the best place for you, whether your bracket's been busted or you're looking to make some extra cash with your final four picks and not just sports. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows and reality television. Get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine because bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.he. Use the promo code Locked On, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On for that 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So are you guys ready for the NFL draft? Well, just check out the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast as hosts Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak get you geared up with their positional rankings, their final positional rankings, as well as their upcoming guest mock draft coming right around the corner. Follow the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So we got our first question from Will H. He asked, if the Falcons went best player available and took Sewell at four because no one wanted to trade up, can McGarry play left guard? Can Matthews move to right tackle? Or does it not make any sense to take Sewell? I don't think Sewell makes as much sense as other players, but I think you can make a case for Sewell. I'll, I'll make one in a second. But to answer your first questions, I don't see any reason to move Jake Matthews from left tackle. Um, you know, if it ain't broke it, don't fix it. I know again, that's a controversial opinion among some Falcon fans that Jake Matthews is good, but he's good. Right. And I'm also not a big fan of moving Kayla McGarry inside mainly because of how tall he is. There have been successful six, six and, and above guards in the NFL in history, but typically they're relatively rare because it's much harder for those taller guys to get leverage against shorter D tackles. Right. And, and in the interior, you know, low man wins and whatnot. So McGarry six, seven, 
And I kind of feel like his fit as a guard would be very similar to what we saw with another taller guy in Atlanta in the past and Garrett Reynolds. Garrett Reynolds was nearly six, eight. His feet were too slow to play tackle, uh, to trust him there. So, uh, the Falcons moved him inside, but he couldn't necessarily bend as well as you wanted in order for him to be able to, to play guard and, and, and not be susceptible to power, uh, as you often are when another guy can get under your pads, uh, because of how tall you are. And, you know, for some people be like, oh, you think he's as bad as Garrett Reynolds? And like, that's not what I'm saying, you know, and I know you guys are looking to latch on to any narrative that suggests that Caleb McGarry was a massive reach and a terrible draft pick by the Falcons. But look, Caleb McGarry is night and day a better athlete than Garrett Reynolds. It's like comparing Michael Vick to Matt Ryan, right? It's just a night and day difference between how athletic they are, right? And even if you don't think Caleb McGarry is, is the greatest athlete of all time, that's how bad an athlete Garrett Reynolds was. Go to mockdraftable.com and and, and if you don't believe me, but you know, I, I think McGarry can hold up at offensive tackle. I think he showed it this past year. It's just a, a question of the top pass rushers giving him trouble. And, you know, I'm not going to turn this into a Caleb McGarry rant, uh, but the core of that rant is basically, I think people are down on Caleb McGarry because they have a wrong assessment of the overall quality of offensive line play in the NFL. And they kind of think it's feasible for you to have five elite players across your offensive line and you can't. And sometimes you have to settle for just, you know, fives and sixes to start for you on your offensive line. If Caleb McGarry is a five or six, that's fine. You can wind up playing a decade and starting a decade in this league being a five or six. Just ask Justin Blaylock. Just ask James Carpenter. Just ask, you know, any number of Bobby Massey, any number of longtime starters in the league. But the case for Penny Sewell is not because you want to draft him so that you can move Matthews and McGarry inside or even Penny Sewell inside. You know, I, I just don't think that makes a lot of sense for the Falcons. To, to me, the case for Penny Sewell is what you said. He's the best player available. And the case for him is that he is a generational offensive tackle. And you already have an average starting offensive tackle, Caleb McGarry, and a good but aging left tackle, Jake Matthews. And even though it doesn't necessarily fit all the pieces together, the fact is that you see Penny Suez as Jonathan Ogden, Walter Jones, Joe Thomas-esque sort of generational offensive tackle. It goes back beyond Laramie Tunsil or Trent Williams or Tyron Smith or Dwayne Brown or all these guys. That You see him as one of the best offensive tackles that you've ever watch tape watching. And if you think that, if you think this guy's a future hall of fame, like a lot of those guys I just named are, or, you know, is a hall of famer. Like a lot of those guys I just named are, then you would take him. And that's the just, that's all. That's the only justification you need to take pity. So if you believe he's going to be that good, then take him. If you don't believe he's going to be that good and or, and, or you think there's a better player out there, which I think you can make a case there are, then don't take him. But you know, you don't need to, Think, you know, I, I think that's been the wrong approach a lot of people have had when it comes to Penny Sewell's making this kind of ridiculous argument that like, oh, Penny Sewell makes all the pieces for the Falcons currently have on the offensive line work better. And it's just like, no, that you're just making that up just so to justify the pick. Just go with Penny Sewell's the best player, period. And that's that's the only argument you need. Right. When we're talking about best player available, in my opinion. But I don't necessarily agree with that argument is to make it clear. Um, but like if that's. If I was on Team Penny Sewell, that would be the argument I would make. Uh, our next question comes from Devin R. He asks, it seems for a lot of fans online, whenever they see an article about the Falcons taking quarterback at four, they jump to the conclusion that this is a smokescreen to entice other teams into a trade. Am I being too pessimistic or is the thought of a professional GM from another team potentially making million dollar decisions based on a leak article a real possibility? Um, well, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, Devin, when you put it that way. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's crazy for 
people to think that the Falcons are putting out smoke. You know, if they are indeed out of the quarterbacks and committed to building around Matt Ryan, which they could be, um, we don't know if they are, but they could certainly could be. It's not crazy for them to think that way. Um, then it would make sense for them to want to make other teams think that they actually do want a quarterback and they are putting it smoke because the ideal scenario, you know, for them would presumably be trading down in a draft and you want to make teams think that you want to take a quarterback at four uh, because no one's going to trade up for a non quarterback. Right. So is that what they're doing? You know, again, I don't know. I think they are legitimately interested in these quarterbacks. So I don't think it's necessarily purely smoke. Right. I think some of it might be smoke. They might be fanning the flames a little bit uh, to make it seem like they're definitely taking a quarterback if they're not definitely going to take a quarterback. But I think their interest in the quarterback is legitimate. Now, if you're asking me the question of whether or not another team would fall for it, it, if they were reading an article and fall for the smoke screen, probably not. But I I think it goes back to what sort of Jeremiah was saying with the Falcons interest in quarterbacks. Their perception is already out there that the Falcons want a quarterback, right? So whether in, in a, another NFL GM is reading that stuff and got that from an article is probably very unlikely, but I've certainly heard in the past that NFL front office, people do look at stuff like articles and whatnot and see if they can glean any information from it. Teams do sift through that stuff and probably will sift through more of that stuff in the coming weeks particularly in the month of April, because that's when teams are sort of making their final decisions. That's when they're running through their various mock draft scenarios. And so, you know, they could include information that they got from a random article out there and be like, what happens if team X does, you know, Y or whatever the case may be like, you know, this person from the athletic suggested or what this person, um, you know, from Roto world, or I'm sorry, NBC sports edge uh, suggested or, or something like that. Then, you know, that makes sense. But, I don't know if that answers your question, Devin. Uh, So let's move on to Greg's question. And Greg E asks, since we have limited cap space and a number of spots to fill in the roster, my first question is if we have to stay at number four, is the compensation the same or does it vary depending on the position selected at the spot? And two, if we trade back, what is the maximum number of players we can afford to draft to add to the roster and how much more cap space would we need to create to sign them? So the answer to your first question is rookie contracts are mostly predetermined, although historically first round quarterbacks tend to get a slight pay bump. Although I'm not sure if that practice has continued since the CBA where contracts are slotted. So position doesn't really matter for how much the, the person's initial contract outside of that one sort of quarterback quirk. Um, but it does matter for fifth year options, right? Which is based around the average salary for the top 20 or 25 guys, uh, depending on, you know, playing time, depending on how many pro bowls you go to. So that's where position matters. The fifth year contract, your second question. And we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's episode, but, the Falcons currently have about $4 million in cap space now after Deion Jones restructured his contract, which isn't enough to be able to sign their current rookie class, which is going to cost them around $7 million. Uh, so we probably know another move is coming uh, b- between now and training camp in order for the Falcons to free up cap space, which makes sense. Restructures, extensions, trades, something along those lines is coming between now and August uh, for the Falcons to resign their cap space. The issue is going to be for the Falcons, at least the main issue is that their fourth overall draft pick is going to have a cap hit of about $6 million this year. Right. And 
you know, if they were going to lower that number, they would have to trade down a bunch. For example, if they traded back with Denver, you know, and traded to the ninth overall pick and then picked up Denver's second round pick in addition to whatever pick in 2022 that you need to hear in order to make this trade make sense to you. Um, that would cost them about $5.3 million in cap space. Those two picks this year uh, would count, cut, count against their cap about $5.3 million. And so it would only be shaving off about $660,000 from their salary cap burden this year if they were to make that trade back from four to nine. Um, so you would then have to, you know, if that's one trade back saves you about 700 K, then how many trade backs would you need, you know, four or five, uh, in order to save the $3 million that you need to sign your rookies from where you currently are to where you need to be. So, um, I wouldn't worry too much about the Falcons ability to afford their draft class. They'll, they'll figure it out. Basically is the bottom line. They always do. Um, our last question comes from Steve a, he asks, I know you mentioned you haven't gotten enough chance to study film yet, but I'm curious about what you would think about us getting a day two quarterback. I'm partial to Davis mills from Stanford. Who is a, who is from Georgia originally. My ideal draft would be Jalen Phillips in a move down in the first with us eventually grabbing mills in the third. Any thoughts on quarterbacks outside the consensus top five? I did get the chance to watch Davis Mills in February a bit, honestly, because I had never heard of him until Dane Brugler dropped his quarterback rankings back that then and had him, I think Mills at QB six. And I was like, who is this Davis Mills guy? And then I noticed that he's from Atlanta and I'm like, Oh, maybe I should definitely watch this guy. Um, and I watched like two games of his and you know, I thought he was okay. He's probably the most watched guy I've watched outside the top five this year. I just really watched it like a game, a game and a half for the other guys. Uh, and I thought he was fine. You know, I thought he was a, a future backup in the league. I think he'd be hard pressed to be a starter. I think his ceiling as a quarterback in the, in the NFL is probably like a Jason Campbell or Kyle Orton level starter that is good enough, you know, in years five through seven um, is good enough to sort of keep a spot warm uh, for a team until they find their franchise quarterback, but not a guy that you're going to build around. You know, my biggest knocks on him were twofold. One was mobility. He's not a statue or anything, but he's just not going to make a lot of plays off structure from what I have seen. And to me, the biggest concern with him um, is the tendency that his accuracy gets, gets a little scattershot when he's throwing more than 10 or 15 yards in the air. And that's kind of a guy that's kind of built to be a dink and dunk you know, game manager type of quarterback. And I, I sort of liken him more to a late career Matt Schaub than an early career Matt Schaub, if you understand where the early career Matt Schaub was uh, more than good enough to, you know, be a, an effective starter in a pro bowl quarterback in the right scheme, uh, Kyle Shanahan in Houston. And then late career Matt Schaub is just basically a, a backup that thankfully due to, you know, 14 years or however many years of NFL experience, you know, could, could rely on that and be an effective game manager in that regard. But, uh, you know, unless you don't have, if you don't have a strong running game and, and Julio Jones level weapons around him, then it's just not going to work for him. So, you know, I wouldn't be upset if the Falcons pulled the trigger on a guy like Davis Mills in round three or four, particularly if they pass on a quarterback in round one, uh, you know, as I often say, beggars can't be choosers at that point. But, you know, I, I think if you're drafting him, you should be expecting him to go down the Mason Rudolph path and just sort of be a low level 
functional backup for you than the Matt Schaub path of, oh, we can develop it. We can, you know, groom this guy for three or four years and then turn the keys to him to replace Matt Ryan in, you know, four or five years down the road. I, I would be hesitant to believe it's not impossible, but I would be very hesitant based off what I have seen from Davis Mills uh, to think that he's going to turn it into that type of player. So uh, there you guys have it on terms of today's uh, listener questions. I hope those are. I hope I answered those questions for, for those people. And, uh, you know, the big news around the NFL this week has been the move to 17 games. And we'll get a guest thought on that potentially later this week. I'm, I'm sure that guest will have some interesting thoughts on that um, move by the NFL. And if you're curious to get my quick take on it, you know, I don't hate it. Uh, it seemed like inevitable that they were going to expand the regular season. What I don't necessarily like is that they don't ha- add, they didn't add a bye week. And my guess is that they didn't do so because that would postpone the Super Bowl for two weeks. And that would then conflict with the Daytona 500 or something like that. And so that was the biggest reason why they did it. And it's just like, okay, like either you're committed to player safety and, and, and you know, you could, I'm sure you and, and NASCAR can come to an agreement on when to which, what, which, what, which Sunday each of you guys want uh, in the month of February. But um, you know, it is what it is. So there you guys have it. And if you want to send in questions for future mailbag episodes, of course you can hit me up via email at lockdownfalcons at mail.com. Or if you just you know want to hit me up quickly on social media, of course, find me at lockdownfalcons on either Twitter or Facebook. Appreciate it guys. Till then.